0: This is Father Patrick Briscoe, and this is Father Bonamitra Chapman. Welcome to God's Planning. If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where you can make a monthly donation. Uh, if you become a Patreon supporter, we privilege your questions; we try and get to them first on these live planning nights. So that's one of the benefits. Otherwise, feel free to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to all of our content, and we appreciate you sharing this stream and other streams. Uh, so, Father Bonaventure, how are you doing tonight? We no, I'm not this
1: doing live Yeah, I can't complain. Just finished uh, semester ended. So, officially today, Tuesday, three o'clock, um, grades are in. So, it's all done. Um, so, yeah, semester is done, ready for the next one, but uh, with a little bit of reprieve before
0: then. Father Fabian, the Dominican friar who taught me philosophy when I was an undergraduate, uh, would say to us at the end of the semester make sure you do your work. Because you'll be coming to me whining, and I'll say to you, "I'm sorry, kid. I'm all out of darts of love. All I have left are shafts of justice." Mm. shafts of justice. Yeah, I'm a big
1: divine. I'm a big divine mercy fan. So I was, I was like to say that divine, that mercy is a divine attribute. Nice, very
0: good. I mean, Saint Thomas certainly thinks so. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Even the greatest
1: divine the greatest.
0: That's a that's a toughie too. Could be. Yeah. Mercy is uh, probably a good place to start here as we we begin our conversation because it it, it could be a helpful frame. Mm. Um, I think certainly uh, a lot of you listeners have seen um, the news about the recent uh, declaration that came down from the Vatican. So we wanted to open up tonight, Fiducia Supplicans, which is a documented declaration, which is to say a formal instruction from the church on the pastoral meaning of blessings um, mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, we we wanted to have a an honest conversation here because there's a lot in this document. It's a 5,000 word text. Maybe some of you have looked at it um, yourselves. You can find it; it's available online on the Vatican website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly would encourage everyone to 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 read the full teaching and uh, really dive into it. So again, just just for further further context, um, uh, a lot of us who uh, pay close attention to the news of the Holy See have expected a document like this from. from for some time. We've sort of seen something like this coming. Um, Cardinal Fernandez, who is the cardinal, he's the head of the Vatican's dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. That office is otherwise known as the Holy Office or the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It's the the same same Vatican entity, but was restructured uh, under Pope Francis. So it's known as the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. And it's the, the section of the Vatican that deals with church doctrine, right? So this is one of the one of the most official levels of teaching this document uh, as a declaration. Um, one of the last declarations we received was in the year 2000 on the nature of Christ. Uh, so that, that level of teaching was used for Christological clarification. So it's a, so it's a, it, it's a, very, it's a very serious level of, of teaching. Um, and I suppose the last thing I would say is the kind of preambula is that this teaching was offered in clarification for some of the questions that have arisen from various cardinals uh, from coming up from the church um, over the years, and that's that that evolution is mentioned in the introductory note um, that these dubia, which is to say doubts or questions arising from uh, from several cardinals, have been presented um, to the Holy Father. And this teaching, um, written by Cardinal Fernandez and signed by Pope Francis, which is to say, given under the authority of the Pope himself. Um, is the answer to some of those ongoing questions. So I think I think all of that's a, important to lay out by by way of background, don't you think, Father Bonaventure?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. This is the um, declaration is the thing. I guess we don't think too much about. We think about encyclicals and apostolic exhortations uh, and these kind of things, but declaration is the decastery, the DDF, weighing in on a particular matter. Last one, I think, it was Dominus Iesus, um, uh, which was a document about the supremacy of Christ under Benedict the Sixteenth, under that point, Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, and who is the prefect of the Congregation Doctrine of the Faith. And that was a meaty, great document. And there are declarations, uh, this one's, I don't know, the more pastoral you could say, but they're trying to declare something about uh, teaching. And as, as you mentioned, Father Patrick, this is about blessings. So it says that there is, this is a declaration because it's offering some reflections and developments on how the church understands blessings. Uh, and I think that's important to remember that the church with the deposit of faith is continuing to unpack, like a sort of Christmas present. Uh, it's always Christmas morning uh, for the church on this <laughs> side of this side of heaven, because we've got the gifts, and we're just continuing to unpack them. Now, most of it's done, but you never know. There's stuff down at the bottom, like occasionally there's things down at the bottom underneath things. So the church is unpacking, not only figuring out like how to play with the particular toys they got, what batteries to get, and that kind of thing, but also what else is in the package, in a sense, you could say. And the church here is trying to reflect on blessings, and I think making some distinctions between rites, and blessings, and liturgies, and all of that, um, which as a philosopher, I'm always excited about distinctions. So important to remember your context, and uh, what's being said about this thing, and also kind of who's being said, said to. Yeah, that's what I start with.
0: Yeah, great. So, so let's jump in here. Um, so at the, at the top of the document, in paragraph four, you see right away uh, a reiteration and a confirmation of the church's perennial teaching on the nature of marriage. Uh, So this new document, uh, this declaration clarifies that marriage is the exclusive, stable and indissoluble union between a man and a woman naturally open to the generation of children. And further, in the same paragraph, it clarifies that all kinds of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage um, are are viewed um, as certainly irregular, but as sinful. So their natural, proper and fully human human meaning uh, the, that these acts find their natural, proper, and fully human meaning—that is, sexual acts only within the confines of marriage. Right. Um, so, so I think I think this is very important to understand that from the outset, there's not a modification of the Church's teaching on the nature of marriage, but rather uh, a reassertion of it. And this is important to say right at right at uh, right at the top of our investigation of the document, because so many of the major headlines. Uh, were intentionally or otherwise deceiving on this point uh, and in this question so I think that uh, I think that we have to, we have to clarify that uh, if we're asking has the nature as the Catholic understanding of the nature of marriage changed the answer is no and in fact throughout the document as we'll see there have been various reiterations uh, that what is what is going to be allowed with the holy fathers in fact calling for can't contest or threaten, or otherwise undermine that definition of marriage which has been reiterated. So as we get as yeah, Father mentioned anything to say about that point? Nope. Not really. Yeah, so so as we as we move in there though for, for various blessings, um, what what were your takeaways from uh from what is being prescribed or mm. what is being uh, what is being opened or unpacked uh, in the Christmas morning mode as it were about the nature of blessings?
1: Yeah. Um well I thought it was nice the distinction between uh, a rite, so a liturgy, so a sacrament uh, in the rites, uh, and then the the sacramentals. So it talks about blessings as being sacramentals, which are not sacraments, um, but uh, but disposed to grace and 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 depending upon the, the state of the the sinner and the one and the minister and all this kind of stuff. So not ex opere operato. Um, so this the ble- the blessings are you know like and to think more seriously about what blessings are really about. And I think most of us don't think that much about blessings. I don't, you know, I kind of, you, you bless yourself as you go into a church. Um, You know, you might bless yourself as you go drive by a cemetery or by another church. Um, people ask for blessings all the time. And so the document, I think, rightly brings out and asks me to reflect a little bit on like, what, yeah, what is the difference between a blessing and a prayer, distinctly a blessing? And it has this distinction between like the ascending mode and the descending mode, which I thought was, was good reminder that blessings are more spontaneous, um, and that they're asking for assistance and help. Uh, and then that the descending mode is dependent upon the situation such, but that the blessing, I thought this was important, um, that the, the blessings, uh, from a strictly liturgical point of view, this is paragraph nine, uh, blessing requires that what is blessed be conformed to God's wills expressed in the teachings of the church. I thought God's will showed up a bunch of times and being in conformity and moving to that. I also thought it was interesting that in in my mind, as this document goes through, it starts out by saying uh, irregular situations. So not just homosexuality, um, but also irregular marriage things. These do not have a right. We can't have a right for this. We've been asked for a right from this from certain countries. Can't do it. Then you looked for a liturgical blessing and it says not that either, because that's out of step with the with the will of God. These things, so we're not going to have any liturgical blessings of these things. No rites, no liturgical blessings. But then it asks us to say, are there situations in which one would would be able to impart a blessing to someone in an imperfect situation like this? I think that's the that's the kind of takeaway, and it opens up the possibility that in situations this is possible um, to do this, as long as it's not a liturgical or official or any act like that. So that's my my kind of takeaway is it, it it removes a lot of possibilities here, but then asks you to reflect on what a blessing is and as priests, what do we do when we bless? Um, and does that require, you know, more the kind of moral scrutiny and perfection and disposition you could say, um, in the way that sacraments and others do? And it says no. And I think that's I, I don't know. My final point is I think that that seems right um, because it does seem that someone can come up to me and ask for a blessing. Uh, and if they desire God, um, I don't check on that spot to find out whether what state of grace, what state of grace they're in or something like that. I will, I, if I'm on the street, I'll offer them a blessing. So I guess that's, you know, I do. Blessings are, are a more generous kind of thing. And it goes over and over again that this does not support or affirm the 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 life blessed, but it's a tricky light road. You know, it's a tightrope to walk there. But I think that's asking us to clarify the significance of blessings uh, and their insignificance in a sense compared to the liturgy of the of the Eucharist and sacraments and rites and all that. That's what I got yeah, out of it. That's right.
0: Yeah. So, for example, in in paragraph eleven, you know, to your to your point about the the kind of prayer this is. It's clearly not a prayer that's offering a, a confirmation or an approbation or granting legitimacy to something that is beyond what the church prescribes as our kind of normal or or traditional perennial moral teaching, right? So, the, so the church uh, the church has declared through this document, uh, the church does not have the power to confer its liturgical blessing. When that would somehow offer a form of moral legitimacy to a union that presumes to be a marriage or to an extramarital sexual practice, so that that that's a pretty that's a pretty serious guardrail. And then to your to your point about um, about being a moment uh, where we're where we're trying to respond to a movement in you know in someone's heart, someone seeking God, um, where you're where you're responding to a movement. There uh, it seems that it seems that the document is prescribing prescribing a blessing as a, a response in mercy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, in paragraph 19, in his mystery of love through Christ, God communicates to his church the power to bless, granted by God to human beings and bestowed by them on their neighbors. The blessing is transformed into inclusion, solidarity, and peacemaking. It's a positive message of comfort, care, and encouragement. At the ultimate end of which is conversion for someone for someone, someone to be reformed, for someone to change their life, for someone to see Christ and to respond to those uh, those pre- those uh, movements of grace.
1: Yeah, I think this is, so 20 is, 20 to me was a really highlight, I just highlighted the whole paragraph 20, I think this is an important one. This is, uh, one who asks for a blessing show, one who asks for a blessing show himself, uh, bad translation there or grammar, himself to be in need of God's saving presence in his life and one who asks for a blessing from the church recognizes the latter as a sacrament of of the salvation that God offers, the church that is to seek a blessing in the church is to acknowledge that life, the life of the church springs from the womb of God's mercy and helps us to move forward, to live better and respond to God's will. So I think the, it, it's not like the blessing now. This document might think, oh well, blessings aren't that important. I guess they're not like sacraments or rites, so you can just indiscriminately bless anything. It's not that. It's it still says it has these kind of conditions. They're not the conditions of say, like to receive the Eucharist, you have certain conditions, you have to be state of grace, you know, not you know having confessed mortal sin, all this kind of stuff. And there's other conditions uh, to various things, the sacrament of marriage and all this. Blessings don't have the same conditions, um, but there is a the sense that you should, you ought only bless those who are coming and desiring to conform more to God's will and the plan for God in their life, um, even if they're not there already, that it's an act of mercy on God's part to assist them to grow closer to God. But I think if there's a pastoral situation where someone had no desire uh, to conform to God's will or to to that just wanted some sort of blessing as a you know, I don't know. I, I'm trying to imagine the case where someone would come and ask me for a blessing in this situation, and had no desire. One knew the church's teaching, uh, and denied it, and didn't care, and just but still wanted a blessing from me. It's really hard to imagine that particular situation. Yeah, you know, I, think I think that's we really get worried about that, but I don't know if that's the really yeah.
0: real. I think that's really the key. I mean, if you, that that they're that they're being uh, being elicited here some kind of. Again, response to God's plan for our lives, the, to the truth that's that's taught by the church and the, that Christ has handed on to the church. Other, uh, there would be have to be some desire to want to conform to that, um, and to to submit to it, right? And and that that that's that's the way that I've been thinking about this is that there's being proposed here, and it's not really a new thing, but mm-hmm. but maybe heightened or deepened, right? To to use some of the language you threw out there earlier Father Bonamici, our understanding of mercy. Um, but but mercy always means conforming to the truth eh, yeah. in order to be true mercy. Um, so I, so I think that's that's part of that's part of what's being called for by the church that we're certainly not hearing in in many of the narratives and many of the explanations and many of, of the readings of this document.
1: I also think it's it's important to to realize where you're reading this document from, from the American context, this seems, <laughs> it seems like, oh no, here we go again. Amoris Letizia, round two or round three, depending on how you consider these sort of events. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, if you read it from the, from the European context, uh, from a German context, for instance, uh, this is a document that says, um, we've looked into what you guys were asking for about blessings uh, and, and going the way of the Protestant, you know, world and Anglican world and all this, Methodist and all this. And, not gonna do it. Uh, and so we're never going to change that. That's not going to happen. Here's the best you can say about these situations. And it's all kind of, you know, caveat and qualified. And then at the end, it says, and we're done with this. Yeah. Like, this is the, the end. One, one of the ending paragraphs of this is this. And this is sufficient. We're not going to deal with this anymore. Stop. Basically, stop bothering
0: us about this.
1: And I thought, that's yeah, that's, that's for, certainly that's good. what I've been thinking about I mean, it today. Explains. It's like this is
0: a way of kind of reframing some of the questions on the synod, perhaps um, that 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 had been addressed this fall, and and that are that are now subject to this ruling of uh, uh, of this declaration. Uh, and to to your point about about what what isn't is not permissible, I mean, paragraphs 38 and thirty nine are, are pretty are pretty restrictive. Uh, one should neither provide for nor promote a ritual for the blessings of couples in an irregular situation. Okay. So there can't be a rite, there can't be a ritual. And then, uh, and then again, like I said, in in 39, in any case, precisely to avoid any form of confusion or scandal when the prayer of blessing is requested by a couple in an irregular situation, the blessing should never be imparted in concurrence with the ceremonies of a civil union and not even in connection with them nor can it be performed with any clothing, gestures, or words yeah. that are proper to a wedding. I mean, p- potentially, if one wanted to read that strictly, you could even demand someone remove a wedding ring, I presume, um, yeah. to, to impart this blessing, right? Now, none of the signs of a wedding, um, which, which, again, I think is part of why the, the the narrative here has been so confusing, because, of course, mm-hmm. we've, we've just seen so many images and frames of this document that, that directly... Uh, contravene or directly confront or directly sub subvert what's being called for here in paragraph 39.
1: Yeah. Now, it, and would it be nicer if this, if if there wasn't a document on? Is, like, did this document really need to be said for us in this context? I don't think so. Did this document need to be said for the church, for the for the Germans and the and the other the progressives that are looking at certain things? Maybe yes. Um, so it's this is the part of also the problem of of being a worldwide church where. There are a number of pe- people coming from different angles uh, and the church has to respond to that. So I would say that for our perspective, at least from my perspective, it'd be better if this wasn't, you know, just that, that doesn't need, since it's not changing teaching, it doesn't need to say a lot. No, it does. It did raise the issue of, of blessings to me a little, you know, I developed that and understanding the difference between blessings and, and all that uh, and the and the mercy aspect. So that's good. But beyond that, not a lot here for me for us, I suppose. Uh, but there is a lot for the church on the, on the, on the other side, uh, to say, we're not, sorry, we're not doing this. Uh, this is as far as right. it goes. Um, and as you say, all the restrictions in, involved. So it's not like it's the very best. This isn't Dominus Dominus Jesus, but there it is.
0: Uh, that's great. So I, I think that, that that's a pretty, that's a pretty good introduction. Again, I would encourage everyone to go, to mm-hmm. go and to look at the document. We've got some great commentary over at our Sunday Visitor, and there there are many other trustworthy sites where where you'll be able to get uh, reliable interpretations uh, of what happened here. Um, so I think what we should do is kind of jump over now um, into some of our questions, and then if if there are further questions as we've been talking uh, uh, about the document, throw them in the chat, and we'll uh, we'll probably end up getting back to this uh, as we as we go on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. So uh, our first question comes from Ashley. She's asked, hi, Father, it's not a, t- not a related topic, but any tips on evangelizing family members? I'm being received into church this Sunday and my family is supportive, but basically think religion is a self-improvement project. Mm-hmm. They'd have the same reaction if I went to a self-help seminar instead of church. Uh, Father Bonaventure, you've been through this a couple times. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, It'd be a great
1: if they if they appreciated uh, the the value of being received in the church and full communion and all this kind of thing, but maybe self help. I don't know. I mean, it is true that uh, it's helpful to you as a self to be a Christian in the Catholic Church. So, in many of these situations, I think you have to just work with what you've got. Um, so, think about laying a laying, having a foundation and finding where the edges of those foundations are, and then building upon that. So, if I mean, it could be that they, they actually thought this was a horrible thing. Like you could have, this could be a heretical move or something, but if they're just kind of nonplussed about it and it's no big deal, you know, just because they don't share your joy in the same way, it doesn't mean that there's not openings and opportunities there uh, to, to show them that it's it's more than self-help um, without, uh, yeah, without going the other extreme of of bruising reeds and quenching smoking wicks and all that. So it's it's tricky. And in my case, my, my, my family... You know, I was the second to come in, um, and they were largely Protestants. So, uh, except my mother was Catholic already, and they were kind of inclined. So it it was more like, "Oh, that's his kind of thing. Uh, okay, that's his way of doing Christianity." Whereas here it sounds mm-hmm. more like apathetic to to Catholicism. So, right. You know, I take the positive where you can where you can get it, uh, and be generous and demonstrate uh, the 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 gospel religion. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will do some inspiration work in them. And you just never know with family. Jesus says a uh, prophet is, is never is accepted everywhere except his hometown. It's just hard. Family, it's, dif- it's tricky. It's different. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. So, um, yeah, I would say just work with the positive.
0: Yeah. And I think there's something to asking, uh, asking the bigger questions, right? Like someone, someone uh, investigating any kind of self-help thing, right, is going to be looking for, for meaning and for virtue and many positive things that are that are true uh that are true in the church so so i think that those basic principles of of the human condition those are the things we can fall back on and and rely reliably engage i would say uh awesome so jumping on here allison asked do you have any suggested reading that might help a person doubting purgatory Mm -hmm. um allison i so one of the things we, we, we we this is one of our refrains um On the podcast, I think one of the things that comes up as we begin to look at these particular Catholic doctrines is that there are things that are that are actually more fundamental or foundational that oftentimes have to be addressed. So, if you're talking to someone about purgatory and you find out that they don't believe in the immortal soul, you've got a problem. So, I think that the questions about purgatory uh, can be helpfully framed by examining questions about well, the nature of our our life and what are the effects of sin and do we think all of that's resolved simply when this when the soul dies or are there lingering effects that have to be worked out what does it mean to what does it mean for a human soul to be put in the presence of god um how are how are we changed by by god's presence do we have to be changed in order to be in god's presence um i think those kind of fundamental questions are are helpful are helpful to ask so to that end i would say um uh investigating more fundamental parts of the catechism can be helpful Mm. uh and then if you wanted to read something in particular about purgatory, um, I would say take a look at uh, Pope Benedict's clarification on limbo, uh, which mm-hmm. has, some good, has some good principles about, um, uh, about the afterlife there.
1: That's pretty good. I think uh, C.S. Lewis has a letter. It's one of the letters to Malcolm on prayer. Um, and he, C.S. Lewis is Anglican, uh, mm. not Roman Catholic, but he has a great defense of purgatory in there uh i think it's just spectacular so uh that's that's nice that's a nice short reading too i mean not gonna like solve doubts about depends what you're doubting like that you know how 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 warm is the shower that we undergo what have you specific doubts but i think you're right to say it's a general point uh and there's plenty of resources for this
0: uh perfect okay so let's do uh let's do one more uh question here from a patreon support and then we'll jump back into some of the questions on fiducia supplicans what do you think Sure. Uh, So Debbie asks, um, how does one pray separately or differently to each of the persons of the Trinity? Oh, that's a great question, Debbie.
1: Um, Yeah, I think... I think we... I mean, each person is different. I think that the Holy Spirit, for me at least, probably gets the least amount of directed attention. I'm used to addressing the Father, uh, usually talking to the Son, to Christ. He's the... I find him the easiest one. Um, But the Holy Spirit it doesn't get as much time, but I, you do, it's important. Um, So I guess it's all about directing your intention. And and I think since we know the persons through their acts, uh, that when you, when you talk to them in prayer, it's think about like, Praising them for their particular missions and acts, you could say. So Christ is the easy one to praise for for dying on the cross and his work of of, of redemption in that way, and and his modeling, all this kind of stuff, and his, his love for you, blah blah blah. Um, but the Holy Spirit, of course, has the action of bringing salvation and inspiring all of this. So to keep it particular about their particular missions, about their their particular acts, uh, and to praise them, start them with that. Start with that, and then just address them. In those ways, and you you'll you'll find that it I think I think you'll find that it is it is different to intend them, uh, to intend the Father with a prayer to tell him about the Son, or to intend the Holy Spirit um, and tell him about the Father or something. So, I think that's paying attention to what each one distinctly does uh, is helpful to distinguishing the persons in prayer.
0: That's great. Okay, so here's another question. Um, back to uh, our our new declaration, with respect to fiducia supplicants, what changed, if anything, with this document? If nothing, why declare anything? If individuals are the object of the blessing, then nothing is new. But are they? Uh, so one one of the things that I one one way to think about this, uh, I think, and it's a it's a useful one, is certainly to. Return to the point that um, Father Bonaventure was suggesting about how it's going to be, be re- how this document is going to be received globally, um, and I think I think that it's clear that part of this is putting up some some guardrails for the ongoing discussion. I'm thinking particularly again of the synod. Um, we'll see if I'm right about that or not. That's that's mm-hmm. a little that's a little bit of um, tea leaf reading. Uh, so we'll so we'll certainly find out whether or not that's true. So it could be a way of it could be a way of reframing those conversations um, and that that takes that takes time to know if that's the right read or not. Um, but then more specifically, if you're asking um, if individ- uh, are individuals, the object, of the blessing. And as I read the document, individuals are and unions uh, and relationships are not. Um, but Father Bonaventure in this one, well, in this particular
1: different. case, of course, then it's trying to avoid again. Uh, the nuptial blessing as being used in these cases uh, of 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 civil unions or or of of homosexual unions, this kind of stuff. yeah, so blessings in th- what it's what it's basically saying is is uh, you can bless the sin or but not the sinner's relationship, this kind of thing. like it's 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 trying to it's trying to to carve out a place that would makes sense of the fact that that if someone asks for a blessing, then, you ought to err on the side of thinking that maybe they could receive it that's what's asking i think whereas if someone asks for the sacraments there are other conditions or someone asks for for a blessing of a particular state of affairs like the, a wedding or something um or the vows you know this sort of thing so i think in this case it's it's saying permissible to bless the individual because the individual is not you're not you're not affirming anything in them of this of sin here but rather the individual Um, And again, I think it's a tricky, I don't know, it's a tricky, uh, it's a tightrope to walk, Um, but it is true that sinners need blessings um, and that the mercy of God is to be extended to those who, uh, as it says in the document, ascend, have like a desire to move closer to God. Uh, and then descending comes from, you can respond to that. I think this is, I don't know if this is the same with you, Father Patrick, but in some ways in confessional, like confession, there are people who have contrition, like perfect, they have contrition that's sufficient in a sense automatically and you can see it. But there's other times where people come in and you're not quite sure whether the sin, you say, well, God, well you're, you're not going to do this. Like you have to not want to do this again. They kind of hem and haw a little bit and they're not sure. And this sort of thing You say, well, do you, do you want to not, do you want to want to not do this anymore? Do you, I mean, are you in the? Are you moving the right direction? Are you are you committed to to actually trying, even though you can't promise me that you're not sure about? You know, who can promise the future? And I I just this felt like a lot of reminding me of the pastoral practice of a priest that is trying to be attentive to the to the movements of an individual, uh, in a particular context. And the document itself says, if you say, when are these blessings offered? It says like at a shrine, on a pilgrimage, in a private meeting, um, you know, it has, it's, so to my mind, it, reading, you have to read this as a priest would read this, uh, or at least try to, as opposed in the pastoral aspect of it, as opposed to kind of like a dogmatic teaching the way that say Dominus Jesus was. That's what I'm, it seems like it's, is directed towards the pastoral aspect and activity. And in that way it, it raises, raises that. I think in terms of why, why, what does it offer new? I think it just tries to unpack the difference between blessings and pay more attention to those. And just like, you know, when you unpack the faith and you make, you're not making dogmatic statements, you're just declaring things that maybe people have not thought about. Um, and it's not like Dominus Jesus determined something new that Christ was the only savior of the world. Acts 4.11, 12 says that, you know, you don't have to worry about that. But it did declare to make it more clear in a particular context. And I think that's what it's doing here with blessings.
0: Right, um, I, th- I'm going to take two two here together because I think they're they're interesting questions and they're re- they're really getting to the heart of uh, what's what's being asked. Uh, and uh, th- this is certainly this is certainly what what's going to continue to be debated in the church. Okay, so here goes. Here's uh, the first of them. Secondly, uh, is this language of couples? So another question is the language of couples in the document. To even call same-sex relationships a couple seems to be linguistics linguistic slip. And the very notion in that term concedes unacceptable ground. Um, allied with uh, allied with um, Margaret's comment here, I have no issue with practicing same se- with uh, practicing Catholic, someone who's same se- same sex attracted, being given a blessing. But I do have a problem with them being allowed to come together for one. So why would the church recognize them as an entity when they are individuals uh, in the eyes of the church? Um, Mm-hmm. And I, I think both of those get get really to the heart of uh, the the heart of the most most uh, pressing questions here because the document doesn't seem to allow blessings of couples as such on my reading and maybe that's a, maybe that's a misinterpretation and maybe that's mm-hmm. a distinction that I'm that I'm projecting upon mm-hmm. it. but but I, I think that we're talking about I think that we're talking about blessings of individuals as individuals and not blessings of couples as couples. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. 39 says, 39 says, um, in any case, uh, precisely to avoid any form of confusion or scandal when the prayer of blessing is requested by a couple in an in irregular an ig- situation, in situation, even though it isn't expressed outside the rights by the books, the blessing should never be imparted in concurrence with the symbols. But I mean, I, so just because the couple requests, this could now people might want to say, this is really parsing things here, but, because someone requests something doesn't mean you then act upon their request in the way they request it. So for instance, if a couple comes and requests now, again, I don't know what this would be um, because like, once you say, we're not having official things, we're not having, you know, uh, liturgical rites or this. I mean, this is the idea that at a shrine two people come up to you who I guess are, you, well, if they're divorced, remarried, how could you tell? Um, but like say the homeless, same, same sex uh, couple, uh, same sex people come up um, and couples just means two. So they come up and, uh, ask you for a blessing, right? Um, I think you, you, you know, you, that's the pastoral situation where you say, you know, um, I can bless each one of you, that kind of thing. It doesn't say like, um, it doesn't say since they've come to you as a couple, asking for blessing, you must bless them as a couple. Now, will this mean in practice that some priests will bless couples? yes. Will it mean, I mean, does, is it true that priests will do bad things and take advantage of things? Yes, yes. If people want priests to be perfectly uh, perfectly good about this stuff, man, good luck. Uh, I wish, it'd be great. But like, will will priests misuse this document? Yes. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. But it's what it is, you know? Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it strikes me as, I think you're right to say that it doesn't demand that you bless the couples as a, the couple as a couple. Um, It just, it does, it does raise questions about coming together. And this, I mean, I think the language is tricky, especially, I think, I think it's, it's unnecessary, it seems. Um, But, but I don't think it demands anything. Uh, It doesn't demand anything of us that's, that's compromising that way. Um, Yeah, but I think there, I think people will, will people use it incorrectly? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right.
0: Great, let's jump back to a few more questions from our Patreon supporters, and then we'll get get back to to the declaration here. So, uh, hey fathers, uh, we're asked this question by Alec. Hey fathers, uh, can you help with a divine comedy question? In Paradiso, why is James associated with the hope canto?
1: Hmm.
0: He says, to me, it makes sense why Peter, the rock is faith, and John, the one whom Jesus loved is charity, but I've wondered about James and hope thoughts.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you, you're you probably more familiar with the pretty so than I am, but I, I think it's because James is associated with, with prayer. Um, So camel, the camel knees, um, who's a man, you know, he knows has have a lot of scabs on his knees. So, um, but of course I, I'm not sure which James this is. Um, but James is initially associated with prayer and so maybe that's the, maybe that's the aspect of it. Um, I can't, I don't know off, off the, that's just a guess, but when I think of James, you think of persistence in prayer. Um, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the hope aspect. Do you know anything about this Father Patrick? Right.
0: No, I'm not, I'm not sure at all, but that's not going to stop me from wildly speculating. Yeah, good. Um, so these, so these are the, these are the three disciples, right. That are there at the transfiguration, um, and are there with Christ in the prayer on Mount on the on uh, on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane before the night before Jesus dies, right? So, so they are, a, they are a kind of privileged three among the disciples. Mm-hmm. So, if you have to pick oh, yeah, three, yeah. it make, it makes sense why you would pick James. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, I wanted wanted to say that as a kind of response out of the gate. Um, as far as as far as why James and Hope, um, one thing that comes to mind is that he was the Bishop of Jerusalem. The head of the church in Jerusalem. There could be something about uh, the church in Jerusalem, and and uh, seeking the heavenly Jerusalem, and looking looking forward in hope there.
1: I think um, I think what's happened here is uh, the question has turned into, what do two Dominicans think might be the reason for this? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, like, I, have, I have no maybe, idea. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah. I like that. But I think that's, that's yeah. part of the fun. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, um, we could say too. Uh, we could say too, like, uh, well, maybe it's because Spain is the country of hope.
1: <laughs> yeah could be who knows yeah i'm um, someone knows we need our google you could google we need, those, we need
0: our we need our camino friars here
1: yeah that's true i'm definitely not gonna yeah yeah
0: <laughs> perfect okay so two two questions coming along mm-hmm. here so the first of them when meditating on the second sorrowful mystery the scourging at the pillar i was advised to think of my sins wounding christ at first i thought the wounds were collective and so i assumed my contribution must be minimal considering the sins of the whole of humanity but then i realized with horror it might be individual namely all are all of those wounds for me and so like let, let's take that question first um i so i think one thing that's important to consider is that uh christ in the passion as as he's suffering is thinking of us as individuals um but that does not therefore mean that you could transform that statement and read it read it the other way all right, Father Bonaventure can do all, all kinds of lo- logical games with us um, to tell us tell us how this would work in in a formal way. Um, but that does not therefore mean that everything that happens to Christ during that time that He's thinking of me is necessarily because of me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so so I think that's a principle. I think too we should be cautious of trying to weigh our sins and figure out how much they mean, um, because every offense against God is a is a quasi infinite offense against His goodness um Mm, that's a good point That's a good point so i so i i think those two those two principles um are are where i would start responding there
1: yeah it's i mean this is deep uh theological reflection which i'm a philosopher so this is my. but i'm gonna jump in here and think i think father patrick you're right about uh the the counting. there's a there's a drive to quantize we're just moderns we just like quantization uh, as a drive to figure out and number of these things, but I mean, the sins—the sin is the act of turning the will from God under these circumstances. And we find it so often the saints who I think are the best theologians um, that they talk about being like Saint Therese, being the greatest sinner. Faustina talks about this. Saint Paul talks about this. And uh, surely they have not sinned in the way that say Adolf Hitler has these kind of things, right? But it's—but it would be silly to say to them, "No, you're not. Uh, not really." you know, no, they mean it. They mean they know that their sin uh, is an offense to God, given their circumstances and the graces they've been given and their rejection of him in certain uh, certain capacities. So even, and and that's the important part, I think, is not to worry so much about the, the gravity of our individual sins past, you know, what confession and mortal sins be attentive to that, but realize realize that his wounds are, are there for all of our sins and all of the time, times we, we do stray from him, whether large or great. And because we're given so much grace and we're meant to to live a perfect life, uh, any falling short uh, is 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 part of what the cross is there for. Not to then say in a Lutheran fashion, there's no distinction between sins, but to realize that that his cross is not just there for the big sins, but that he's there for all of our, our sins. I think you're right on that.
0: Uh, so this is Paolo's second question here. Can oh, you explain the rationale for choosing the specific readings that I find in the night prayer, Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, they're deeply significant because mm. they are the Word of God. And at the same time, I can think of other verses potentially even more significant. Mm. Although, let me tell you, I have many thoughts when I'm praying the liturgy as to why, why that verse. So insofar as that's your question, uh, I can sympathize with that. And sometimes I'm tempted yeah. to believe that I could have done a better job of the editors. I think of this every year when we get the Uh, when we get the Susanna cycle in daily mass, you know, it's just like, okay, great. We're going to listen to a story for 15 minutes. Oh,
1: it's incredible. (laughs) It's like, it's like passions. It's like the passion Sunday, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, But, um,
0: but but I think that that response then is to receive those things, um, you know, as you, as you're suggesting here with, with docility, that they're, they're the word of God. um, But not just, not just because of that, but because the church has chosen these particular verses, for our reflection in this way. and there's there's some lines in the briefery that, that just come up more often and uh, and prompt us in a different way simply because of that. So so uh, so my yeah my invitation is to to be, be okay you know having uh, having some of your own ideas of verses you prefer that's that's perfectly fine but, but then also to submit that docilely right to the to the, to the editorial work of the church.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a long editorial work. Um, and because, you know, these come from different traditions, but some of them are, are clear, De Profundis is, is clear, um, but they're beautiful ones there. And these things come from, a, again, a long tradition that we receive. I think the beautiful thing about being a Catholic uh, is not only that, it's, it's not that we have just the great resources that then we cobble together and determine what would be best for us in this kind of, you know, uh, a la carte, uh, yeah, decisive, personal uh, plan, self-improvement plan, callousism call, so to get back to where one of the earlier things. But rather, it's a, it's a, it's an improvement plan from God uh, and through the church and the tradition. And so we're given these things, and these psalms have been prayed and are being prayed and over and over again, and that they kind of accrue over time. And you know, as with anything, I suppose uh, why it's there uh, is not always the reason why, like why it's still there. Or what it means there is not all the reason. It not always the reason it gets there. You know, things sometimes just get there for all sorts of reasons. I mean, the the letter to the Hebrews, for instance, is in the scripture, uh, partly because a lot of people thought it was written by Paul, when most people think it's not now. And if it wasn't assumed back then it was written by Paul, it might not be in here, but it's inspired scripture. Not to raise a canonical thing, but just because someone gets in there doesn't mean that it has to have the same reason for being in there. And I feel like the Psalms uh, that are selected here have a similar quality. They're not random. They have. They're there for a reason. But is it like maximizing the perfect night prayer psalm? I don't know. What would that be? You know, we mm-hmm. just receive open hands.
0: <laughs> uh, perfect. So we, this is from uh, this question comes from Diane, mm-hmm. and then we'll uh, we'll get back to the declaration. Uh, Diane asks, the pool of practicing Catholics can be pretty small these days. Hmm. Uh, So she's talking about uh, a long distance relationship here. Let me let me start at the the very top. What do you think about long distance relationships of two hours asking Hmm. for a friend? Are they doable? The circumstances are these people do not know each other previously. So it's not as if they're starting out knowing each other and a move or a new job takes them away. The pool of practicing Catholics can be pretty small Hmm. these days. So maybe distance is worth it but also don't want to make the mistake of not having the chance to really get to know someone unsure of what to do. Asking for a friend, Diane,
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you need to do is, I mean, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Is it, I mean, it'd pull press. Well, it depends where you are too, right? I mean, the practicing Catholics around certain cities are quite, are, are, are more, yeah, more vol- voluminous. Um, but maybe in other places, they're not. And so you do have this. I think long, I don't know. Long distance is tough. Uh, I think especially to start, as as you mentioned. I don't think it's, I don't think it's impossible. Um, I think, but it, it does require a lot more time and a little more attention. So that's my, my. it's all personal prudence on this. My suspicion is, in my feeling is like long distances is generally just a lot harder, a lot more work. But if it's the only option, then right. you do what you can. I don't know, Father Patrick, what do you think about long distance uh in this kind of situation?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of some of the couples that I've that I that I know who met on Twitter or Facebook or uh, Instagram even. Um and I think that the that the key really is the the investment level and that, that that's part of what has to be determined um as the part as as these two people are thinking, well, is this relationship going to work for me or not? Um, you've got to figure out out of the gate, like what the expectations are, you know, are we going to date seriously? Or is this just a fun thing? Um, If, if you think it's just a fun thing that should ask, you should be asking other questions about what you're doing. Um, But, but I, but I think that, that it, that there need to be some parameters there that are clarified because what I could easily see happening is one person being far more invested than the other and feeling lonely or unattended, um, if if the other if one of the other uh, if the other person is not um, responsive, okay, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. So so mm-hmm. that I think would that I think matters. Um, and sorting out some of those expectations for what you're doing. Right? It could be determinative uh, of whether whether or not there's going to be forward progress. So, yeah, not impossible, but ask some questions and encourage your friend to ask some questions and clarify some expectations there. Uh, Okay, so back to the declaration. Martina here is asking a question about uh, the papacy. So she says, Mm. Hello, fathers. Basing this question strictly on what was reported in the media, so I may be missing something, but how does the most recent announcement by Pope Francis mesh with the Pope's infallibility? Um, I think I see what he's trying to do, but it seems to muddy the waters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll leave to the media part to you. Uh, I generally think the media is just horrible at reporting these sort of things um, because it wants so. Because the media thinks that it drives uh, what truth is, and so therefore, if it gets on front and gives the hermeneutic lens, then everyone has to play catch up to it. But I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and then I did. Um, Infallibility. I mean, uh, ordinary extraordinary form is is the uh, proclaiming particular dogmas, not here. Uh, Ordinary form is just the teaching of the church. Um, I don't think there's anything in this document uh, that is is against. It's very now. It could explicitly say that it's in in line with the faith, and it could be wrong about that. But it does say, it does hold to the norms. I don't think there's anything in here that is a, is against uh, uh, the matters of faith or, or morals. I don't think that's true. Are there things that <laughs> are the things that are said in ways that I would not want them to be said? Yes. Um, is it does it is it kind of confusing and creates confusion or could create confusion in people. Yeah, I think so. It's not ideal, but in terms of investing in infallibility, there's nothing here that as far as I can tell, that is a direct contradiction to one of the dogmas or, or that the church is teaching on faith and morals uh, on this, on this matter. So I think infallibility wise, this is okay now. And that's not a big bar, right? So it doesn't violate infallibility. Is it prudent? That's the question you want to ask about this sort of thing. And it might seem you might, it might be, this is a sort of imprudent document. Um, Although, again, I mean, maybe it's worth the, the blessing part is a declaration about blessings, but infallibility, I wouldn't worry. Too. I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not worried about that on this one.
0: And nor am I. I don't think we're to that moment yet. But I do think I do think one one related point is uh, is that this is going to impact the unity of the church insofar as uh, there are going to be different interpretations of this document and it's going to be contentious, and people are going to try and advance uh, interpretations of the document that I don't think are just. Uh, I think we've we've seen that already with some actors, and uh, so so I do think I do think that working to preserve the unity of the church is one of the keys uh, and calls uh, demands of us um, a charitable and thoughtful response and charitable and thoughtful reception uh, of the document. Yeah. Um, so so one of the questions that that uh, that came up that, that we should take a look at, Father Bonaventure, is this one from Margaret. She says, as a convert from Protestantism cool. who thought okay. the Catholic magisterium would be a safe haven from all this nonsense, how do I feel assured that this mm. isn't going to progress each year with something yeah. extra like I saw in my previous Protestant denomination?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, this is good. No, this is important um, because uh, how can you be sure... Uh, because if you're Catholic, you believe that the Catholic Church is not just a Protestant organization, but rather that the Church once handed over to f- to the disciples from Christ and is governed by the Holy Spirit, still, and all this kind of stuff. So it's a matter of faith. I mean, we just believe. I remember I remember someone asked me a, a Protestant friend of mine asked me one time, like, well, when you know, when are they going? to, I mean, obviously the Church is going to ordain women at some point. They're going to have to do that. And I said they won't. And, and I don't, I don't have any like natural hope in that, in the sense of like, obviously they won't because these men are in charge and this sort of thing, but because of what the church says it is. Um, And I think Peter, so it's a matter of faith. So how do we know uh, that it's not going to go progress like Methodism and all the things you left, like I left, you know, Um, we don't know it except by faith. Like we believe that Christ promised to be with this church uh, and to never leave her uh, even in times of trial. That's the claim. Um, the second thing is I think it's when it's important to remember, uh, that sometimes it's good to remember the alternatives, shall we say? Um, so what's the alternative here? Um, because if you found Protestantism lacking, because it has no magisterium, and then you find out that well maybe Catholicism doesn't have a magisterium. Well, then no one has a magisterium. And then there's no unity to anything. And there's no unity to church. There's no teaching of uh, official teaching of, of, of the faith. There's no Christianity. And then, that's pretty rough. So I would say, that's not an argument for it, but I can say it's not like there's a good alternative to this. Um, And we have, I think, another point in John 6, after Jesus teaches something very difficult, to believe that this is his body and blood, you know, and Jews are leaving him, and he says to the disciples, will you leave me too? And Peter says for the disciples, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I think that's that's the statement of a Catholic uh, that well, yeah, stuff looks bad sometimes, but we believe in you. We believe in you. So it's just good to remember that, that we we didn't we're not Catholics uh, because the church has the best organization, the best institutional practices, the best whatever, humanly speaking. we don't we don't believe that. Um we believe the Church is the Church because it's it's given by God uh, and the Holy Spirit, and that Christ promised never to leave his church without, without a shepherd, uh, for what, however that works out historically and such. Um, so it's a matter of, so how do we know? We don't, we, we believe. Um, and, but, but belief is not just a hope. It's a, it's a sure knowledge of the, in, not in the natural sense, but in the, in the faith. That's, that's one thought I have about it. Cause I, th- right. I think about this question as a Protestant, uh, as an ex-Protestant myself. And I think it just reminds us again, what it means to be, the difference between being a Catholic and a Protestant, you know?
0: Uh, I want to bring up this question from from John because uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but but something occurs to me that I that I think is worth bringing in as po- as another possible interpretive lens here. So John asks, why is the word couple in the document if this is all about blessing individuals? And uh, yeah, that that is that is one of the most important questions that we're going to have to continue to explore with the Declaration, um, because the simple answer is I don't know. Uh, uh, one thing that I think is worth thinking about, though, is that sometimes the church uses language uh, that other people uh, adopt as their own, that it's not the church's language. Uh, and so I'm thinking chiefly of interreligious dialogue. Um, and th- this is a this is a sticky point for uh, for the way mm-hmm. the way that yes. sometimes interreligious dialogue is done, because Catholic Catholics become rightly very concerned about the the clarity of doctrine um and this is one of the points that that's very difficult within a religious dialogue because sometimes the church will use in those conversations language that isn't really the church's or doesn't represent what the church intends or means by something uh, but uses the language to advance the conversation so so that would be something from from our history as a as a theological principle or as a, as some as a piece of historical evidence that i would suggest can be um, part of the way that we continue to think about this question um, in order to further explore it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pastoral matters can be tricky. Yeah, that's true. Um,
0: HG asked this question, Father Bonaventure. maybe, maybe you'd have some good responses here. I'm um, sort of related to the topic. A friend of mine identifies as transgender and is interested mm. in coming to church. What can be the ways that I help my friend?
1: Wow. Okay. Wow. That's, I mean, fantastic that, that's, that, uh, your friend wants to come to church. That's great. Yeah, um, God. yeah, I think it's, it is good to remember that, um, and this, the document does bring this up again, remind us that, that the church is a place for sinners to be saved, not, um, not for the perfect to avoid, uh, everyone else. Um, the church is a divine institution that, um, is, 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 is safe but that it is, it does create, it is make a space for sinners. Um, and that you don't have to be perfect to get in the door. Now, your friend, you know, you uh, you might not receive communion. Okay. there might be other things there, but to bring them to, to, to bring them to church uh, the church wants people to come to the church. W- and who knows uh, like an adoration, for instance, um, what kind of graces will be there? We believe we believe that Christ speaks through the Church and speaks in the Mass and that He is present in the Tabernacle mm. uh, He's present in the monstrance. So um, I would say, yeah. Bring now. It's and it, it just and it also depends. I mean, there's so much personal prudence. Like, how much does your friend know? You know, is this like a friend who is just? Oh, I'm interested because you're interested in Catholic. I don't know anything about anything like Catholicism or Christianity. Or is this someone you know who is? Practice the faith, but then left is coming back. I mean, all of this really—the personal nitty-gritty, fine grained analysis—makes a big difference about how you approach the question. But it's we should want people to come to church, uh, and we should, but we sh- and we should do so in a place that's good for them and good for the other people as well. Uh, so scandals there is possible too. But I mean, taking the pray, taking the adoration, taking the mass, sitting in the back—this kind of thing—it's all. It depends on, and it depends on how they look. Too. I mean, yeah. there's just a lot of personal prudence here.
0: I think the most important thing is to try and introduce your friend to Christ. Um, mm-hmm. the, church, the church is the mediates, mediating institution. The church, the church, uh, is the bride of Christ, and the church will always lead us to Christ. Uh, but I think the way that we think socially about the church, uh, the, the idea of of Christian community and church teaching, can be an obstacle. Uh, and one of the best places to start is to to introduce your friend to Christ as. Uh, as a friend, someone to know and someone to love. Um, so, the, so I think the best way is to just take someone into a Catholic church, point to the tabernacle, say, I believe that Jesus dwells here. Mm. And that when I come here, I can be in his presence and I'm never alone. Uh, and I come here to be with my friend and I tell him the problems of my heart. And I know that he listens to me and that he hears me and that he strengthens me. Um, so again, I think friendship with Christ—that—that—that's probably where I, where I would start, and then, and then from friendship with Christ, you can come to know and love the Church as, um, as the one who's the as um, the in service to that friendship. I would say, how's that? Um, yeah.
1: You want to do this uh, one by Richard P R L I S E, eighteen ninety eighty nine on the document again, the spontaneous blessing one. That might be a one worth mentioning. Do you see that one? because we're not going to get to all of these unfortunately.
0: Uh pull the pull that guy up there.
1: I can't. I, can, I don't have access.
0: Oh, sorry. Wait. Which one is that? What what's the timestamp? stamp?
1: Uh 7:45 p.m.
0: Perfect. Uh Sorry guys, so many questions. We're so grateful all of you are here <laughs> with us. Uh and this is this is a lot of fun. Um uh and what's the name again? Uh Richard Prelesi? Got it. Perfect. Richard Prelesi. Yeah. Great. Nice. What do you make of all the self-proclaimed development of spontaneous blessing and the idea of these little blessings not necessitating moral analysis?
1: Yeah. This uh, is a... Okay.
0: I see why you wanted this question. This is so good. Again, this, this gets, this, this is another way of uh, hitting at the heart of the matter. Okay. So one thing that I, one thing that I would say mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, uh, is that one of the instances that I've said, because I was thinking like, when would this ever come? When would I experience this as a priest? where I would be blessing someone in an Mm -hmm. irregular situation. Yep. And, and, and then I realized, well, actually in the United States, it's customary to do this all the time in the communion line. When someone who, because of their situation of life presents themselves for a blessing and not the reception of Holy communion. And there's not a prescription for this. Uh, There's not a determined, there's not a determined form. Different things are done all over the place. Sometimes people cross their arms over their chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment I don't do any moral analysis if someone stands in front of me long enough without moving <laughs> I, I bless them with a priestly blessing um, yeah. uh, and so so I think uh, uh, so, so, I, so I wanted to mention that I want to mention that example I think that's important for us to be thinking about and then I think that the part of spontaneous is part of what saves us from understanding that this is a change to ritual mm-hmm. or right um, and I think that I think the use of the idea of spontaneous was really important it's one of the things that I that I, that I dwelled on in my analysis of, of the document, because uh, th- this is part of what helps us um, to, to bring some clarity here.
1: Yeah. I thought, no, I, I'm glad you said this. I felt the same way about this. Cause again, it, it, I'm reading this as a, as, as a priest, as like directives for my pastoral guidance and such as, and it says that explicitly, this is prepared to know how to use blessings in, in different ways like this. and, and, it, to me, this struck me as the situation, as you mentioned, these situations where someone comes up and asks for a blessing, and I know nothing about them, and I'm not. My blessing is not an endorsement. I, this happens outside CVS or something. Someone comes up, I have no idea if they're Catholics or not. I have no idea if they're homosexual. I have no idea what their relation. Uh, no idea. They just want a blessing. Um, and that that's, that's the kind of key spontaneous blessing that doesn't require necessitate a ton of moral analysis. Now, if someone the, again the question if if a couple comes up to you and is clearly same sex a same sex couple uh, and asks, okay, that's going to require a little bit. But I, the document is it means to deal with blessings in general with these as as kind of the keynotes to it. But the spontaneous thing, I don't think it, it, it you could read this as saying moral moral analysis is not necessary for blessings. Uh, and and it's really not I think it's aimed at that pastoral situation where we just are presented with people asking a priest for a blessing uh and that of course this is not the kind of place to get into deep moral catechesis and investigation and I thought that's that's a good good reminder of of what's what is really intended with this this sort of teaching here
0: yeah, perfect um well, I'm looking at our time, I'm seeing that we're about an hour here Father do you see maybe one more that we should take?
1: I don't know there's what an Ember Days, which I don't remember anything about. I just I used to write I used to write Ember Day letters to my bishop when I was an Anglican. You have to write on the Ember Days, um, nice. which are kind of nice. Um Great. Uh, no, I've got one that's, that's interesting, interesting that's go
0: interesting, uh, I think. Um but uh let's see here. Where did it go? It's Kaden here is asking, God's spending. does this affect Eastern Catholic priests, or is it like Vatican II where it's just western? Asking for a friend. Oh, so the reason I think this is curious, um, because, again, I, I, I don't know, and I'm not prepared to offer a, a definitive interpretation. I hadn't really thought of that question yet. Um, I think it would affect them, um, uh, th- those that are in union with Rome, because it's decidedly not liturgical. Um, so, the, mm-hmm. so the whole point of this is that it's not like the protected rights yeah. are proper to the particular church. That's, That's a good point, um, yeah. Could be, and that, and that the, the theological grounding for this, the understanding of blessing, uh, seems to be something fundamental that all Christians would have in common. But that's that's my immediate reaction.
1: Yeah, that seems. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to weigh in with nonsense right now. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that seems that seems good since it's not liturgically focused. Yeah, that's right. Perfect.
0: Well, I think by way of conclusion, we should um uh, wish everyone a merry Christmas okay. because we're we're coming around. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> we're we going to be a, Fantastic, Father Advent Venture
1: Remember, uh, Christ is coming again To be celebrating Christmas Nativity Don't so Changing
0: into Christmas But uh, but I think it would be a good idea for all, for all of us Just to say a prayer, to pray for the church To pray mm-hmm. for our unity To pray for the Holy Father To pray for the conversion of those who have not um, Accepted the church's teaching Or struggle to live it out in their lives mm-hmm. And uh, a prayer for all of us That we might come to know Christ better uh, in the coming Christmas feast. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour
0: of our death. Amen. Our Lady, untire of knots. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in uh, for this episode of Livesplaining. If you've enjoyed our content, we encourage you to subscribe to God's Plain and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and other various platforms. I think there are other platforms. And consider becoming a Patreon supporter. We get to our supporters' questions at the top of every episode. Um, and above all, know of our prayers for you, and we ask that you would pray for us. God bless.